Oh, my goodness. Um, I put it in gear? Yeah. I mean, like, get a move on? Yeah. Like overdrive. Yeah. Welcome back. Get your butt to work. <laughs> you know, you sit around on the beach for weeks on end and do nothing. Get back here and get to work. Um, I want to I, I, I want to go back to where we were in Genesis, in the first chapter. And while we're getting there, um, I do leave tomorrow for Kenya. I'll be gone for a week. I get back on the twenty eighth. Everything that's been happening this morning. It's just been for me, just so you all know. I don't know what you guys are going to do, but this was all my Sunday. It was all words for me, and I'm taking them all, and I'm taking them with me because I really needed to hear them. Um, going this, to be on this trip for me is, um, uh, you know, emotionally, I guess, it's probably one of the more challenging trips I've gone I've scheduled and I'm going on in a long time. Um, it's putting me in a place that I have not been before. It's, I'm meeting with people that are at a caliber of people that I've not met before. And uh, there's some things that need to be accomplished. We're, uh, John Wicks and I are, are meeting with the various people that we're going to be working with through foundation builders to... Um, we've... We've got to get a memorandum of understanding worked out and signed. Uh, we're meeting with the people that <clears throat> have the facilities that we're going to be using. Uh, there's just a lot of uh, logistical stuff that all needs to happen, and it needs to happen in seven days. And uh, we fly out. I fly out of Dulles tomorrow at 5.30. We're rendezvousing in Frankfurt at some early time in the morning or something. I think it's like 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm supposed to find John in the Frankfurt airport, and then we're getting on another plane and flying on to Nairobi, and we get into Nairobi Tuesday night at a little after 10, and we have our first meeting Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock to, to handle the most difficult piece of the legal proceedings. So I covet your prayers. I don't know whether it's like five or six hours time difference between Kenya and here. So there'll be that whole thing going on. Um, and then the rest of the week, we're pretty much running from meeting to meeting till I get back on the plane and fly back home and getting, getting home next Monday a week uh, around three, quarter after three in the afternoon. So um, definitely I covet your prayers. And also... Um, not really sure how to how to present this piece of it, but um, we're at a place in Foundation Builders where everything we've been doing so far, there's been a few gifts that have come in, but everything that we're doing, we're doing with nothing. Because until the school actually starts and the funding comes in for the school, the Kenyan government is will be uh, providing a if not all, the greatest majority of what we need for the students in 2020. We're doing two pilot programs, one in April, one in August, uh, two weeks each. 
and uh, that'll be both a vocational class and the business class. Um, so until we get to that point, we really don't have any funding. So buying airline tickets and doing that kind of stuff, there was enough money to cover part of the airline tickets in the foundation builder's account. Um, having said all that, if anybody is interested in sewing into this, this is not a church thing. This is something that's totally outside which of the church as far as legally speaking. It's still part of this church like everything else is. But if you would be interested in sewing into that, you don't. The offering wouldn't come through the church. You would just give that to me directly if you want to do that. Um, we, um, we leave tomorrow, so it's going to be interesting. We did buy a round-trip ticket, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> the one way we're so cheap. I, I thought, you know, if you can get half the job done, you can get the other half done at some point, right? I mean... Yeah. It's 11 o'clock at night. Do you know where your husband is? <laughs> um, so, okay. Just really, I really appreciate your prayers uh, for, for this coming week. I, to say that I'm nervous about this is an understatement. I feel really not nervous in a fearful way, like, oh, gee, what have I got myself into? Nervous in a good way, like, oh, gee, what have I got myself into? Because <laughs> I said yes. And I highly recommend saying yes. And I'll put up with the butterflies because the outcome of the yes makes it all worthwhile. So in two weeks when I'm back, I'll be able to share things about what the yes has produced. Okay. Um, so for today, I want to jump back just a little bit and review something uh, when I was speaking last, which I don't even know when that was, weeks ago. We were in Genesis 1 and then into Genesis 2. And one of the things that I felt, in, as I thought afterwards about what I had said, I, I felt like I moved too fast from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2 which in my opinion is what everybody does, right? Because we, we read through the scripture to hurry up and get to day seven. And then we move on because if we, the way the, we didn't put the flannel graph up, but it's over there. The way the flannel graph tells a story, right? God just like starts creating stuff Bam, 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 bam. And then he gets to like day six and there's like this, there's like this uh, summit. And out of the summit they go, hey, let's make this thing called man and let's make him in our image. So there's an agreement. And bam, sixth day, man shows up. And then, you know, we get into the, the woman coming out of the man, and we talked about all that. I'm not going to go into that today. But I want to submit to us that, that that's a perspective that the flannel graph has given us that, in my opinion, is totally erroneous. One, God's plan was always to make man. 
It wasn't an afterthought. It was the thought. And so let's, let me just read through just to refresh our minds a little bit. I'm in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated light from the darkness. And God called the, day, the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, and it was the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning and the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds, fruit trees, or the fruit trees bearing fruit, which is in their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which there were seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, and there was a third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate day from the night, and let them be the signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the great lights and the greater lights to rule the day and the lesser nights to rule, lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning a fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with the swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kind, every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and mo mo multiply and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning a fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image for after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creature, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of heaven, and over everything 
that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that on the face that is on the face of all the earth, every tree with its seed and its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So what I want us to ponder, one, there's, there's a couple places where it's talking about how, thank you, I, I forgot where I was. <laughs> I know, that's what I was thinking. Just sit on it, it'll stop in a minute. <laughs> the, 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 we've been given, the flannel graph gave us this, this impression, and many of us were taught, that we're talking about seven literal days, and that each thing happened in its day. When in fact, when you read through these scriptures, when it talks about the seed bearing, when it talks about the, the waters bringing forth, when it talks about the land bringing forth, the context of that scripture is not in a 24-hour period. It's, it's an extended period of time that the Bible doesn't even try to tell us how long that time is. How long did it take for the seeds to then bring forth mature plants who are then ready to reproduce and bring that forth again? We don't know. We, we can guess, but we don't know. And so one of the things I think is key as we start, as we start looking at this place of Genesis is what... Genesis is telling us what it's trying to help us understand is not from a scientific point how each thing happened, but from a creative point, not only how did it happen, but why did it happen? And I think the why it happened is far more important because we have to arrive at this place where we understand who man is so that we can understand who God is. Now, please hear me. I'm not elevating man above God. All I'm saying is man is the pinnacle of God's creation. And if we don't get what he was trying to do with man, we are going to miss what he's doing throughout the rest of the story. So God starts... The first day, he gives us light and darkness. What's he doing? He's giving us a division of time. The second day, water and the atmosphere, the division of the environment. The third day, dry land and vegetation, the division of place and provision. The fourth day, the sun, the moon, the stars, the division of signs and seasons, birds and fish, the living creatures, the air, the water. And the sixth day, land animals and man, the land creatures with food provided. What, and I went through that really fast, I know. But what is happening in creation? This is the heart of a loving father, Yahweh Elohim, having in mind what he wants to bring forth on the earth and then preparing the wedding 
for the arrival of the bride. Everything that he's doing, it, day one is in preparation of day six. Day two, it's in preparation of day six. Day three, and, th- and all the way through, he's preparing. What? So that when man comes on the scene, everything that man needs to thrive is already there. It was all, now, if you go, well, you just think that you're so special. Well, I don't necessarily think that way. I don't always feel that way. But my father thinks that way. And my father feels that way. So when I don't feel that way, I need to get over myself. Or as Chris said so well, every now and then I need to look back. Not to create some myth of how my life once was. You know, everything, everything was... You know, in the good old days. Oh, cut me a break. There's no such thing as good old days. People felt like crap in the good old days. <laughs> but I can look back and not make it a myth, not look, make it into something that it's not, but I can look back, as, and as I said, as Chris said so well, and go, man, God met me there, and 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 God met us here, and God met us here, and God met us here, and here, and here, because he wanted to have relationship with us here. What is, what is this whole first week? It's the writing of a love story of a creator that so loves his creation that he's so excited to get here, that every day he looks at the first day and he goes, wow, that's good. They're going to love that. Wow, that's good. I can't wait to see him in that. We outdid ourselves on three. Whoa. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when they're walking around in the dry land and the vegetation? It's going to be amazing. Without fig leaves. (laughs) And he just brings us through because he's preparing all of creation to receive man. When I say man, I'm talking about genderless man. I'm just talking about man. All of us. Don't forget the word woman means man with a womb. (laughs) Don't really know where I want to go with that, so moving along. (laughs) God is bringing us through the creation story to bring us to this place where man comes on the scene and everything that is there. And so that brings us to... The seventh day, which is the Sabbath day. What happens on the Sabbath? God enters time space with his creation. He spent six days creating. He spent six days looking at what he was doing. He spent six days calling it good. He spent six days with his heart full in anticipation of when the sixth day would arrive. And finally, the sixth day comes and he looks and he sees that it's good and he... So on the seventh day, 
not 24 hour periods, just the seventh day, the seventh time. God has this Sabbath that he enters into. So in time and space, he comes into the earth and now heaven and earth are in communion with God because he's come into his creation and he's made his abode here. One of the things that we uh, um, that gets that happens I, when I various commentaries I read, some of the commentators are do it, will do this. Um, I've been guilty of it. Probably most of us have been guilty of it. If we're not careful, one of the ways that we read the scriptures is we start at Genesis and we read through to Malachi. And in that, what we do, we narrow the scriptures down to just the people that are in the story. And then we begin to interpolate what we're reading only as it connects to the people that are in the story. And then when we get to the New Testament, we will start reading the New Testament, but we interpret the New Testament by the Old Testament, which I submit to you is backwards. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have found eternal life. But I'm telling you, these scriptures, they speak of me. On the road to Emmaus, he comes alongside the two guys. You know the story. They're all talking about all that happened. They're all downcast. They're all bummed out. Jesus has been killed. It's all over. We thought it was just getting going and they've killed him. And they're, you know, it's this, they're walking along and it says, Jesus comes alongside them and goes, what are you guys talking about? They're like, what are you nuts? Where have you been? Everybody knows. They just killed Jesus. And, you know, he's like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know anything about that. And they just look at him like, you poor deranged man. But then it says, that Jesus began with the law and the prophets and he expounded about himself because he's in the law and he's in the prophets. When we take the Old Testament and we start defining what the New Testament is saying by the Old Testament, we're going to arrive at the wrong answer. It's the New Testament that tells us what the Old Testament is saying, which is why some of us very much struggle with certain passages in the Old Testament. We can't sort it out because I'm not, if I'm not seeing Jesus, then I'm not seeing all that's, that's being said. So I need to stay in that scripture, or as I said some time ago, if at this point I just can't sort it out, thank you, I just can't sort it out, don't chuck it, don't try to redefine it into something that it's not, just set it aside and wait for another day when the Spirit lands on it and begins to give you understanding of it. Because if I can't see Jesus, I'm not seeing the scripture of the Old Testament.
Because it's, that, it's those scriptures that talk of him. Right? Uh, Passau, who is a theologian and commentator, long since deceased now, but um, he, he's one of these theologians that anybody that's really struggling with uh, not being able to sleep, he's the book you need to read. And as many of those people do, all his books are like that thick, right? Because he can't say anything in one sentence. And so if you read any of his stuff, half of what he's saying, oh, I don't know, I, I shouldn't even say it. For me, like 98% of what he's saying, I don't even know what he's saying. But He's one of those people that will drop incredible gems along the way that when you find the gem, you go, wow, that was worth being in the dark for the last three chapters. <laughs> that was good. I'm going to write that one down. But Passau made this statement. He said, it's okay to correct Scripture as long as we use Scripture. When we, and let me say this again, I love the Bible. I love the scriptures. My life has been wrapped up in the scriptures. There's, there's nothing I love to read more than the scriptures. There's nothing that has challenged me more, confused me more, um, blessed me more, given me life more, and on and on and on and on than the scriptures. And even at this, you know, been, I've been doing this for a while. I still don't get a lot of stuff. And I'm still looking for Jesus in some of the passages because I haven't seen him yet. But I know that I will. But we also have to When we take a fundamentalist view of the scriptures where we say that it's inerrant and that it's, um, you know, everything about it is, you know, it's infallible and inerrant. I'm trying to think of the words here. Authoritative. Yeah, it's authoritative. When we take the scripture and we, we limit the scripture to when I read the verse then I just do the verse. When I do that, what I'm doing, I'm ceasing to make Scripture being the story that God has given us of Himself, and I'm making it God Himself. Which is not minimizing the Bible. I'm not throwing it out. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not... But... If I'm going to say that the scriptures are inerrant, they're in, inerrant to whose particular view? And we all know the history of Christian church. We argue over every jot and tittle. Because I know that my tittle's better than your tittle. Right? 
And we just argue and we argue and we, we what, what the verse says right here, it says right here, it's just the word of God. This is the word of God. It just says right here. I mean, what are you doing? You just, you just got to quote it. You just got to live it. You just got to do it. It's, I mean, that's the word of God. <laughs> and if you go, but I don't understand what it just said, because you got a demon. <laughs> I mean, you're just full of the spirit of unbelief. No, I just don't understand what it just said. I mean, go ahead and cast it out if you want, but I, I still don't understand what it just said. Right? So when in fact the scriptures are this huge invitation by the creator to step into this love story that he's written to us, and about himself. And he said, if you will explore this with me, there are all kinds of mysteries I want to show you. I'm excited to show you. I'm ex excited to explore this with you. I'm excited that if you're only in day one in your understanding, there's five more days yet. How long will it take you to get through day one? I don't know. Just hang in there. Eventually, you'll go, well, that was morning and evening. <laughs> just, just don't stop. Don't stop loving the Word. Don't stop loving what Holy Spirit reveals to you. But don't make it into something that it's, it's immovable, it's unchangeable. And, and I, for the life of me, I don't understand why as Christians we're afraid of that. Over the millennia, people have written very, every verse, I mean, to me, this is the amazing, amazing, amazing thing about the Bible. It has been analyzed, assaulted, attacked, criticized, misrepresented for the millennia. And it's still right here. Still speaking. Yeah. Thanks to the Gideons. It's, it's still here, and it's still speaking. Because I think any of us that have come into this relationship with Jesus, what, do we, what, what starts to happen is that we start to see, again, going back to what was, we were exhorted in earlier, where God is speaking. It's his voice. It's not just the words on the page. It's the voice behind the word. It's the voice that comes under that word and lifts it. So all of a sudden, my heart soars when I read a particular verse. And you have that moment where you go, that's for me. And it is. Along with the other millions of people that are going, that's just for me. And for each of us, it fits into who we are. God speaks in such a way that it touches us at the very core of our humanity and causes something to awaken that's been waiting to, been waiting to awake our whole life. And I'm amazed at how <coughs> I can look back and say, you know, there were a bunch of times, and I'm sure there's some right now, where I just got it wrong. I meant well, 
The people I, were hang, I was hanging with, they meant well. And I thought that the person who said this is what it means, they, they seemed to know what they were talking about. So I kind of went with it. I'm like, I, I don't have time to figure out all that, but if you say this is what the Bible says, that's working for me, and it seemed to work, and it was in the group, and the group all said it worked. And so I just went with it. And then every now and then, Holy Spirit will show up and go, who told you that? <laughs> the woman. <laughs> I mean, I ain't taking the blame for this. I ain't taking the fall. I was doing the best I knew how to do. It was them, right? And then God begins to unpack something. And many of us have been going in that process for a long time where the Lord starts unpacking something, showing us something about himself that we had not seen before. And quite honestly, we believe something different. So is the Bible inerrant? Well, according to who? It is the word of God. But it was also written by people who were trying their best, especially speaking of the prophets in particular, trying their best to see something and to see into something that had not been seen before and figure out how do I get that down into a language that people can even comprehend what I'm trying to say. Because what I see and what I can put into language aren't, there's a disconnect. I can't get the language there. And something else, this is kind of an aside, but something else to consider, good grief. Something else to consider. When we start looking at Genesis, we'll just use that as an example. We all know that within a, when we move from a primitive society to a more mature society, I'll use that word, though we don't always act mature. So in primitive society, we then start to develop words so that we can communicate with each other to even know what we're trying to do. And in the most primitive of languages, Nouns are the main thing that you come up with, right? Because you need to know. Whiteboard. Oh, whiteboard. We don't have any verbs to go with it. We haven't come up with adjectives yet, so we can't say, on a big whiteboard. We haven't come up with any of that. But it's enough that we can eat, we can survive, we can kind of get the point across, but as every, as every uh, language moves forward, as every culture moves forward, the language moves forward as well. And so we start putting things into language. And, so, and then every now and then we create this thing that's called English, which, oh my goodness, whoever came up with that, <laughs> right? But we, we've come up. So one of the things we have to realize is as the scriptures are being written, they're being written by people 
through the language that is there at the time that it's written. They didn't write it in today because that language didn't exist. So if you're a linguist or you're someone that studies languages, you know that you, know, you can go back in documents. I mean, even, even here, if you, if you pull up a document that was, uh, would have been common at the founding of this country, you'd be hard-pressed to figure out a lot of the words that are even on the page. You know, I don't even know what that means. So, the same is true with the scriptures. It doesn't mean God wasn't involved. It doesn't mean he isn't writing it. But it does mean that God, when he entered into time and space, he has put himself with humanity where humanity is and has chosen to walk with humanity as we start maturing. And he he will meet us as a person wherever we are. Whether it's my personal timeline, it's my tribal timeline, it's my societal timeline, it's my national timeline, he meets me there and he speaks to me in my language there. Because I can't understand the language out there which is incredible to me. And so, again, we have this, we, we, if we're not careful, we take the Bible and we bring it into today and we, make, we view it through our eyes today instead of allowing ourselves to see it through the eyes of those who were writing it at the time. And saying all that, the first uh, 12, depending on who you're reading, the first 12 to 15 chapters of Genesis are written in a Hebraic language that is post-Moses. Which means Moses didn't write it. The problem is, Moses wrote the Pentateuch. Well, does that mean the scriptures aren't the scriptures if we find out that Moses didn't write every word that's there? Is Isaiah not Isaiah if we realize that there was a second writer and maybe even a third writer that, that wrote into pieces of Isaiah and that I, the whole book of Isaiah wasn't written by the prophet Isaiah? Does that mean that it's not true? No, it just means who we called the writer isn't the writer. And, and to have people that wrote in the name of somebody else, was extremely common. It happened all the time. I mean, if you've ever read the book of Enoch, the dude was dead. So how did he write the book? Right? Well, Enoch wrote the book. Enoch was dead. So, when we're reading through Genesis, especially in these early chapters, somebody is writing and looking backwards and giving us what was happening, not designed to give it to us in this idea 
of a, of like a scientific journal. But what they're giving us is, what was God doing? What was he up to? As we look back, what was the plan that Yahweh was bringing forth on the earth as he was creating? The other interesting thing, and I'll thank Fount for this, on the seventh day, there was morning. And there is no evening in the seventh day. The Sabbath has never ended, which is why Hebrews says there's a Sabbath rest that remains. Let us enter into it. Why did God rest? Not because nothing has happened since the sixth day. Things have happened all along. God rested because he had now entered into time, space, and heaven and earth are now in communion with him. And he rests because he accomplished what he intended to do, which was come into relationship with man, his creation, and be there forevermore. So when we build theologies that separate us from God, that put him over there and us over here and all that kind of stuff. We're trying to take scriptures primarily out of the Old Testament and use those to say what the New Testament is say, saying. And I'll, I'll close with this as I'm with that point. This is how the New Testament defines the creation. I want to start in John 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be one in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved me, or and loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made, made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That's the garden story. That's John saying, this is what the garden looks like. This is what it was intended to be. This is what was there in that time of innocence. This is what it looked like. And I guess if I can throw one more hand grenade out, and then I'm going to get quiet, because I'm going to be gone for two weeks, and then John's going to clean up any mess, because he's speaking next week. Any questions, just direct them to John.
I touched on this before. In the same way that the creation story does not word it in such a way that everything, you know, that those that want to argue for the new earth or the old earth, that thing that gets kicked around, just stop it. What, what is he saying? He's saying that how long did it take things, seed to come forth? How long did it take the oceans to bring forth the life that was within them? How long did that take? We don't know. But it didn't happen in 24 hours. In the same way that this term Adam doesn't mean a person. It's plural. Man, plural. The earth, when man was brought on the earth, it was not Adam and Eve, two people, who had the job to get the whole planet populated. Because if that was the job, how in the world were you going to have time to till the garden? It's like, I think it's time to hoe the garden. Dang, woman, we got to have sex again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can get done in a day. I used that word, didn't I? But what was happening, I think, in my, this is my opinion, you can do, you can do this what you want, but I do think, I do think I'm right. Um, man was brought on the scene and we're watching what, when we get into chapters 2, 3, 4 we watch something else and that's for another day but man comes on the scene and man is populating the earth and it wasn't in the same way that a single tree that God creates and then the tree is going to drop a pear and then that pear is going to lay on the ground and then a seed's going to come out of that pear no. there was multiple seeds there was multiple and, and I, I'm of the persuasion that what the writers of this are telling us is this is how God is working with man that he created. Not trying to give us a scientific view. I've said that already. But So man was on the earth. Man had dominion. There were was, there was so many amazing things that, you know, we're going to get into that in weeks ahead. But... Um, I'm just, I'm not of the persuasion that Adam and Eve were one man, one woman, and then everything started from there. I think Adam, man, just plural, it can be singular, but it's generally used in a plural context. It's talking about the plurality of what God created on the sixth day. And then we began to move from there, and we'll get into the rest of the story Paul Harvey used to say, you know, the rest of the news, we'll get into that later, but that's probably enough destruction for one, for one day. Okay. I love the scriptures. They're amazing. The further I go, the more intricate they become, the deeper they become, the more alive they become. So don't ever, ever, ever hear in anything I'm saying that I'm trying to, you know, push the Bible into something else. 
It's right where it needs to be in the center. But the Bible is not God. And when we worship the Bible and make that God, we put ourselves in a place where we don't hear the voice of the real God, the true God that's speaking, even though we claim, man, I, I, I only do what the Bible says. I don't know you don't. It's a bunch of stuff you do that the Bible doesn't say. But that's not saying that the Bible isn't, shouldn't be central. It should be central. And I, for one, think as Christians... We don't have to be afraid. Like somehow we have to treat, we have to protect this sacred book and make it a myth and a, and a ritual when it was intended to be his story to us. Telling us of his love, telling us of his relationship, telling us about who we are and who he is. And that, you know, and then we can see, we can see him. Y'all okay? Yeah. All right, I'm, I'm going back under my rock, and I'll be back out in a couple weeks. If I see my shadow. <laughs>